For January 10th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 706. I indeed have some explaining to do. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out together and talking about the things uh, that make us happy. This week on the show, uh, we're talking about Being the Ricardos, which is a, uh, a movie uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, starring uh, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem. Uh, uh, and uh, available on Amazon, streaming on Amazon Prime if you if you have that service, which is a uh, fictionalized uh, you know take on a uh, historical event, the I Love Lucy show with um, you know with uh, with Lucy and Ricky and Fred Nethel and and, and the House on American Activities Committee, and <laughs> just as just as as you would expect. Excited to dive into that, but uh, but speaking of uh, beloved sitcoms, um, you know, and the the actors actors who make them we are uh kind of reeling we we just heard the news it just came out as we we're about to record this episode that uh, bob sackett has died and um I've, i'm not even quite sure what we have to say about this as an overthinking it news as, as an overthinking it you know a body of of podcasters and you know writers and website people and well, <laughs> we're not website people we're people who website and that um you know that's it's it's just really sad and and uh, I you know I mention it um, I mention it because I'm sure you've heard about it by now and we're not we're not willfully ignoring it we're just not uh, not quite prepared to uh, to talk about it there's a, a great deal of stuff that we could uh, say about Bob Saget and the work that he did and when uh, we hope that we have a, a time and a place uh, to do that as well as to uh, speaking of beloved sitcoms uh, I didn't mention this last week but to to uh, honor the work of Betty White who also passed uh, early Earlier, uh, well, also passed earlier before the before the last episode, and I, I realized uh, just as I was talking now that I had forgotten to say anything about about that uh, as well. So we are, um, you know, we're losing some greats, uh, and and um, hey, if uh, if there's any place where you can come together with your friends and sort of let yourself feel sad about that, uh, it's the Overthinking a Podcast. We've sort of established ourselves as a, as a safe space uh, for that kind of thing. No one's, no one's going to tell you that you're wrong for liking the things that you like here, and no one's going to tell you that it's wrong to feel sad about the things that make you sad. So um, if you are, uh, I'm really sorry about that. It's, uh, it's hit all of us. Anyway, that's more, more. So I've gone on longer than I intended to about it. We're really here to talk about, uh, to talk about, uh, Lucy and Ricky and, and, uh, Aaron Sorkin. Um, and, uh, so we're, we're doing that with our, our regular panel, the regular cast, the, uh, the people that, that get top billing on the show. You know them, you love them. Uh, it's, uh, Peter Fenzel. I love Pete and he loves me. Hey, Pete, how are you? Yeah, wow. You made the wise production decision of putting the i love lucy theme earlier than an hour and 45 minutes into this show Um, I, yeah, I was going to go with like a really melodramatic string uh re- really melodramatic string thing but um thought it might be heavy-handed piece oh yeah really a little heavy-handed <laughs> thought the soundtrack thought a thought a uh, you know yeah. douglas cirque-esque melodramatic soundtrack yeah. might be that's a little... like uh, that's like, like calling alphonse elric is a little heavy-handed that <laughs> This, the scoring for this movie was a little bit more than than even Full Metal Alchemist could manage. <laughs> and we have Mark Lee. I love Mark, and he loves me. I don't know if those are the actual lyrics. I love Lucy, and he loves but yes, Mark Lee, how are you? I, I'm doing great, but I got to preemptively tell you, Matt. Um, when you pull out your highfalutin references to philosophers and literary theorists and things like that, I will only left to say, Matthew, you have got some explaining to do. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to do the accent. No, got it. No, no, you know you do. Your 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 accent is the chocolatey radio baritone that our that our listeners know and know and love. And I, I indeed, I indeed have some explaining to do uh, because. Very early on in overthinking it, um, and I'm talking about 2008. I'm talking about when we were a black and the, uh, when, when we, you know, didn't know how this, uh, uh, this, um, exercise, this sort of communal endeavor was going to, to shake out. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of our writers had other outlets, uh, to write, 
um, on the internet. Uh, Maple Inc. in particular had a couple pieces published on the McSweeney's website, uh, the digital, the digital outlet of the McSweeney's, uh, uh, empire. And, um, so what I did was I sat our writers down and I made them sign a loyalty oath. I made them sign a pledge that, uh, that they, they would not, um, they would not, that they were not now and they had never been members of, uh, a, another website. And, uh, Aaron Sorkin has not made a movie about me. Uh, I know. Uh, but it's, you know, if it did, it would suffer from the same problems that a lot of Aaron Sorkin's later work did is that it's really hard to, you know, take just any sort of event in human history and invest it with the full weight, the full gravitas of running a nightly sports center broadcast. What even happens in the movie <laughs> being the Ricardos, Mark Lee? What, what, uh, what is this movie about? Spoilers for things that happened a hundred years ago. <laughs> and, and things that Aaron Sorkin um, invented happened. Yeah, yes, yeah, he made up a hundred years ago. Yeah. Yes. I mean, right. it's like everything, other all other historical fiction, right? You know, plenty of poetic license has been taken, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this movie, not surprisingly, given it's an Aaron Sorkin tale. And um, many threads must be spun and woven together in the great fabric, fabric that is our nation and its entertainments. Um, okay, main storyline involves... Um, actor Lucille Ball, um, who has uh, uh, been accused by uh, a media outlet of some communist affiliation. And of course, you know, this is set against the backdrop of the House on American Activities Committee, McCarthyism and all that jazz. Second uh, important thing going on in this is uh, allegations in the media of her husband, Desi Arnaz, being unfaithful to her, um, which turned out to be true. Um, again, spoilers for actual history. Um, other important things going on in this, um, uh, in, uh, this, the show sets it up so that both of these things hit um, the same week um, that they're trying to put on, you know, uh, one of their shows, which is uh, the number one rated sitcom uh, in uh, in the United States. Um, millions of people are watching. So the stakes are high, very high. Um, and, and then so the th- a third important thing going on um Related to just kind of like, you know, putting this television show out is that there's uh, Lucy announces uh, Lucy and Desi announce that they are pregnant uh, and they uh, jump through all these hoops to try to get um, the network to agree to portray the pregnancy on television and not kind of um, alight it away. Um, as was the case back then due to standards and practices and just general American prudishness at the time. Um, and so all of these things kind of come to a head in the climactic um, uh Brought uh, uh, you know, taping of the episode where um, Desi manages to diffuse uh, all the concerns around um, the, the accusation of communism. And I'm not making this up. Uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin made this up, in fact, um, by getting J. Edgar Hoover, of all people, to uh, to phone in uh, and tell the studio audience himself that Lucille Ball is not a communist. And... Lucille Ball confronts Desi Arnaz with evidence of infidelity, um, but they still go on and do the show and uh, produce yet another gem of American pop culture entertainment. Um, that those are like kind of the most broad outlines of this movie that we saw. Um, and I'm going to leave to Pete to uh, talk about the kind of the strange framing device um, that um, that that presents all of this and and and, and tries to bookend things. And I, I don't even know what in these like weird reality show-esque interviews. Um, are you able to put words to describe this other aspect, important aspect of what it is we're about to talk about? Um, sure. Hey, Matt, have you seen the new Aaron Sorkin, Tony Hawk biopic? Oh, man. It's, it's extremely witty and very urbane, and it has a series of interviews with an elderly Bam Margera imitation you know, um, it's two and a half hours long and there's no skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all about how difficult and annoying it is to build a ramp. So, again, it's the crisis of the uh, of the of the Tibet protests at the 2008 Olympics. <laughs> that's that's what it is. No skateboarding, though. It actually it's about to do Tony Hawk's famous 900 and then it just cuts to black and doesn't show it to you. 
Uh, it's uh, it reminds me of the um, well. It shows you what it shows you. Yeah, I remember. It shows you uh, uh, bits. It shows you bits of the yeah. the thing. It shows you turn him turning maybe two hundred seventy degrees, flying through the air. To, but you don't see the whole trick. No. You know, you don't There's see the an whole interview with an elderly Johnny Knoxville who describes it. And that, because what you would want to see when it comes to like skateboarding is someone telling you about it rather than just getting to watch it, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so the framing device of being the Ricardos uh, is you would hope that it would be a Bohemian Rhapsody-esque framing device or at the very least a Rocketman-esque framing device because it is a it is written like a play that takes place over the course of a single week during a sing- the production of a single episode of I Love Lucy and it ends with the taping of the episode and you would hope that the end of the show is the episode and that all of that show it to you. and all of that like all of the things that mark rattled off right like there's a red scare with lucy there's uh uh desi cheating on her yes. there's you know there's friction- an eating disorder subplot right right there's yeah. another su- they, the word i think infantilization is used in a context that seems about 15 years too early, but I don't actually yeah, no, know. What, oh, I'm, no, no. A number, all, all kinds of anachronism, all kinds yeah. of, you know, Desi, Desi says they have the platinum plan on the, on their insurance. <laughs> and that was not, yeah. you know, insurance, believe- insurance was, was written in typewriter at the time. There was no platinum yeah. plan, but the, all kinds of anachronism, but uh, yeah, it's overstuffed. And maybe this is why they thought they needed the, the, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Sorkin, uh, thought that he needed the framing device. Because it has this thing where, like, there's a crisis in pretty much literally, literally, there's a crisis in in pretty much every relationship or system that makes up the show. Like, is Lucy going to be allowed to be pregnant? And it goes all the way to the president uh, on television. It goes all the way to the president of Philip Morris. And, um, you know, uh, who are in charge of television for some weird reason. Well, they, they give the, I mean, oh, they the they give them money, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, but, but yeah. like, that's the, and if you don't have a sponsor, you don't have a television show, but the, the, you know, the, uh, yeah, Lu, uh, Lucy is worried about getting outshined by Ethel, uh, you know, and so it's trying to fatten her up, you know, there's <laughs> a, uh, uh, the, the younger woman writer who is sort of Lucy's writer on the, on the show is, you know, um, uh, is dissatisfied. With the quality of the the, I love Lucy is not good enough. Yeah, not well, not, <laughs> well, that, not that's not the issue, and it's not not, an, uh, not feminist up. enough for this younger yeah. generation. Like everything that goes wrong, um, does. And if that weren't enough. It's loaded up with flashbacks of yes. how of right. how yeah. Lucy and Ricky met, yeah. uh, sort of fell in love, and how their careers led them to uh, to the point where they they started the show. I love Lucy. So that's the. I mean, that is the in in the framing device that we're really teasing Pete about to explain this framing device and make <laughs> make sense of it. But in the framing device, this is there is a great deal going on in terms of like uh, dramatic license and stuffing a lot of stuff in. And to kind of give it a give it unity of action, I suppose. But the the uh, the framing device sort of busts out of that in a in a weird way. I don't know, Pete. Can you explain the framing device? I just I had a vision of a crouching tiger, hidden dragon style flashback where Lucy and Desi are like sixteen years old and riding on horseback across the Mojave Desert, <laughs> and it's just like soaring music. But then, you know they don't do anything like that. They don't show you the uh, the invasion. They don't show you the Bolsheviks killing all of the Arnez family livestock in front of a small child and then like making the family homeless and imprisoning the father and all this stuff. It's all, it's more tell don't show. So the framing device is they are, is in the form of testimonials. So think sort of like when Harry met Sally, except these are older versions of the characters in the movie. And the conceit is that they are being interviewed and providing the true information that is being used to make the movie. However, A, all this information came out like 40 years ago. The, the tell-all books about I Love Lucy happened like a long time ago. None of this stuff should be a surprise. If you're at this point, if you're at this point thinking like, I Love Lucy really represents an idealized version of America that we have not reckoned with, and we don't really realize what darkness lay, you know, behind the relationship. I mean, 
<laughs> it's it's sort of like sort of like saying like man what is george lucas going to do after american graffiti we don't know right it's like <laughs> like this is this is all old old stuff in fact so old that it's not credible that they interviewed any of these people i don't think <laughs> i mean i don't know if they would be literally 110 years old again i joked this, these events didn't happen 100 years ago they happened 70 the they happened 70 moved. years ago yeah yeah it happened seven, some of the events happened 80 years ago and were retconned to happen 70 years ago because they needed Lucy to look older so that it was at all plausible that Nicole Kidman is playing Lucy. It is not. She does not look anything like Lucille Ball. Um, she looks ancient and terrifying. Right. And, De- and Desi Arnaz, who was like 29 or something at the time that I Love Lucy started, not 29, maybe 31. I don't know. The, the, yeah. he, was he, very... he was significantly younger than she was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, at, like uh, he's being played by by all the the craggy wrinkles of javier bartem who you know uh, yeah. uh, not a word against him uh not a word against him mr fenzel he's brilliant <laughs> yeah let me rephrase i should be kinder to nicole kidman here because i think the the way that the framing device and her performance interact in a way that was a little bit off-putting for me but is accomplishing something is that lucy is coming to this movie a sort of world weary you know knocked around knows how everything works, knows kind of how she's being screwed, has seen it all and been betrayed before, right? And Nicole Kidman brings with her just the weight of her own experience. But the weight of her experience is of a 54-year-old woman who has been at the top of Hollywood, right, is not really at the top of Hollywood anymore, had whatever she had with Tom Cruise, right? Like she's – Nicole Kidman, I think, is in a much more experienced sort of place than Lucille Ball was when she was 40, because this is happening when Lucille Ball is 40. And again, Lucille Ball had also seen a lot of stuff. But there, if the framing device is supposed to be telling us that this is a moment of crisis where all the people who were alive then are telling you now what happened – because that implies, oh, well, at the time, they didn't really know, right? We can't just look at what happened and ascertain from what happened what the significance of it was, which seems the case often with real-life events. Like, things happen in your life, and you don't really know how important they are until you look back on them later. And then it's like, wow, that week was really the week, wasn't it? That was the week that changed everything. And we didn't know that when it was happening for, for Bison. It was Tuesday, right? But, uh, <laughs> but, but in order for this to be the case, the people who are going through these things need to be in the moment. And I think that there is such a sort of wistful and sad and kind of wounded and just sort of internalized and kind of buried in herself and, and also kind of just also – that sort of slow deterioration of the frontal cortex that leads to old people saying whatever they think, right? It's like, um, there's just a little touch of that happening, right? Where like Nicole Kidman is sort of older and wiser. And I think it's hard to believe that she didn't know what was happening while it was happening or its significance. And in fact, a lot of the movie is her yelling at people, telling them that she knows what was happening and that they shouldn't assume that she doesn't know what's happening, which kind of obviates the need for a framing device where everybody tells us that what is happening is important. But it does set this whole movie up as a sort of fake historical record, which I hope people don't take too seriously because it is way off uh, in a lot of ways. No, it's not. Um, yeah, it's not historical. It's it's yeah. it's a... You know, it's a, it, it uses facts, but it uses facts sort of pointillistically. It yes, uses yes, yes, it yes. uses a fact here and a fact there, and the 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 two don't necessarily have a relationship to each other. That don't certainly don't have the relationship to each other. But Which, I mean, again, that's, it, it, that's dramatic like, license. I think it's fine. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. fine. That's what storytellers do, right? They they like hell. That's what we do when we tell uh, when we tell stories. I mean, like, God, a number a, a number of things uh, things in my life are much better in the retelling um can can i raise another issue with with what with the framing device here that we haven't covered yet which is about form right the interviews are very documentary-esque i think it's fair to say the show itself however is very cinematic and very theatrical um in that i mean it's a theatrical in the sense that like you know because you know sorkin comes from writing for the stage right where um everything is snappy everything comes together just so um, there is the convenient convening of people in physical spaces where they can reckon. I'm thinking in particular of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, I think right before the last show is about to tape, 
um, and three of the characters, um, Ethel, Frank, and and uh, Lucille, um, uh, conveniently gather uh, someplace outside to um, you know ha- have a, a moment of tension to release or attention acknowledgement. Um, all of that is, is like this is just so presentational, um, and it jars tremendously with this quote unquote realistic documentary framing thing they're going they're going for here. Um, it is truly it was truly baffling. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess like a part of me will give Aaron Sorkin some credit for trying something a little bit different here, um, but it really really didn't work. But they're not the, it, it. Yeah, but it's partly like in a movie that's full of good performances, the performances of the. Uh, the performances of of the the fake interviews are not good. Yeah, yeah. They're not good. Yeah, and they're yeah. and you know like uh, uh, Nicole Kidman's pretty good in this. Uh, Javier Bardem is amazing. Uh, you know, um, uh, J.K. Simmons is the the, 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 the damn yellow M M&M, and M for goodness sake. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> Nina uh, Nina Arianda the. The sort of incredible uh, actress who was, you know, d- doing <laughs> is doing uh, stuff, uh, doing some like smaller, smaller roles in films and and stuff. Made a huge splash um, in a in a play called called Venus and Furs uh, several years ago. Now at at this point, and like find the find the role for her that's gonna that's gonna make her a movie star like oh she's incredible in this as as uh vivian vance playing uh, playing ethel um every everyone is good uh maybe from maybe from arrested development is good like everyone's good and the interviews are not good uh they're you know and and it's the same it's the same um they're they're uh just in acting terms they're sort of indicating uh you know well, you know, it was a big week for all of us. It, I mean, they're acting more like narrators than they are like interview subjects. And uh, it's, I don't know, I, I just, I, I didn't like it. I think it was a, a sort of vote of no confidence in, in the material and the film itself, which is not the sort of thing you want from your writer-director when you put it in. I think it would not have suffered uh, at all to... Um, to lose any of any of that stuff and and i think it also does the film a disservice in in another way it gives it a sense that it's about something i mean that was probably why i can't help but think that they put it in afterwards because they cut the movie together and they saw it had no story or or not that it has no story but that it has so many different interweaving plot threads that don't actually don't even really interweave right it's more of a uh I'm trying to think of of an object where it has a bunch of strands and you pull them apart and together. And so they start in the same place, they end in the same place, but they don't connect with each other at all. Oh, yeah. You're Um, thinking, Pete, of Christmas lights. Yes. 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 (laughs) That's what. Sorry. Maybe it's just Christmas lights. Maybe it's just the Uh, season. Maybe it's just putting my Christmas lights away. But that's that's top of mind. Uh, That's top of mind right now. Yeah. Because, Pete, the thing about like, uh, that was the week it all happened. Like, okay. What all happened? Yeah. <laughs> the week that what all happened, and it's not, yeah. you know, it's not totally clear for all the for all the very stylized, clever Aaron Sorkin esque dialogue, 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 bantering, bantering all the time. Walk and talk. talk. There's a great walk and talk. In this. Um, that that they, uh, you know, well, that, I'll tell you one thing. I'll yeah. tell you one thing, Matt, which is that if there's, sorry, I shouldn't have put the contempt in your name. I'll tell you one thing, Matt. Uh, that isn't in this movie, which is comedy, right? <laughs> so if you were to think, why make this movie? Why may you can make this movie about anybody? There is almost nothing that happens in this movie that doesn't happen to hundreds of other people uh, at this time period, right? It's like it's about a an uneven, sexist, chauvinistic marriage where the man gets away with sleeping with prostitutes and not being an attentive husband. And where the wife has kind of no recourse and is pretty pissed off about it, right? Like, and it takes place in what nineteen is it? Was it nineteen fifty one? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, right. And so, like, oh, he's a, he's a veteran, a veteran of the war, and 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 he blah 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 blah. There's also like, oh, this person is being accused of being communist. This person's friend is really anti communist. This person's friend is like kind of sympathetic, but isn't going to say anything about it. And it's like, well, why do I care? Why do I care about these people, right? Um, and why the reason that you care is because they're making I Love Lucy and I Love Lucy is like the funniest show ever. Right. It is like it is. That was the thing that got me about this movie. To me, I Love Lucy is kind of sacred. Um, sure. That's, that's yeah. why I want to hear more. That's, about why, this, they, like, that's why they didn't yeah. perform it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's probably why they didn't do it. It's, it's like too good, right? They couldn't possibly. Well, I mean, you can't do it with Nicole Kidman. She's not in this movie to play Lucille Ball as a comedian, right? She's there to play Lucille Ball as kind of a figure jilted, of pathos. Yeah, yeah, for her pathos. But yeah, but, you know who it should have been if uh, if they wanted to do it, if they really wanted to do it and to do the I Love Lucy show. I've been thinking about this all week, or all, I guess all day, and I haven't been able to figure out who who should it have been. Catherine Hahn. Mm. Oh, interesting. And interesting. And would have killed it, you know? Yeah. I was thinking uh, they could have gotten Kate McKinnon to do it. <laughs> what I said is the person who should be playing it is thin Melissa McCarthy. Um, because ah, she's funny. She's she's the best physical comedian physical working comedy, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like, but there isn't a thin Melissa McCarthy, which is kind of the point of a bunch of the subplots. Not a bunch. Some of, it is a non-trivial point in this movie that that Lucille Ball is both a physical comedian and really skinny, um, which is not necessarily a common combination uh, these days um, due to societal norms and stuff. But yes, look, if you Mark, if you ever want to come up with like examples of concepts in how comedic performance and humorous performance works on stage in in a in a field that has some some actual dramatization to it. I Love Lucy is like canonical bar none, right? It is any – you can almost pick a random episode of I Love Lucy and go through and illustrate like this is a perfect example of this. This is a perfect example of this, right? They just – they nail it, and yeah. she is so, so good, and they are so, so good. Um, yeah, just to brief on that, it's, it's good to be reminded of that because like um, even of our generation, like you know, we've seen some I Love Lucy here and there, and I, I think like um, for vast swaths of – you know, younger America. Um, I love Lucy is like, I, I would guess say like virtually unknown. Yeah. Well, which is, which is, um, it's interesting. Cause I'm thinking, you know, you could have done this movie with Laverne and Shirley and you probably would have been able to do more justice to the source material <laughs> because Laverne and Shirley is also very good. Right. Um, in terms, and that's the other, that's one of the other go-tos I go to, particularly when I'm looking for female led comedy, when I'm like, well, I haven't coached in a long time at this point because of COVID and babies and all sorts of stuff. But when I was coaching and I was looking for examples in particular of female comedians, it's like I love Lucy, Laverne and Shirley. Right. Um, but also I love Lucy is like all the other sitcoms are copies of I love Lucy. Like not all of them, not modern family, but the three camera sitcom is basically I love Lucy. Right. I mean, Matt, that's accurate. Right. Ah, that's um, interesting. It, Married with children is definitely I love Lucy. Yeah. Uh, the Simpsons is, is, the Simpsons is more than I Love Lucy, but it's not not I Love Lucy. Uh, well, yeah, th- that's yeah. really interesting. That's really interesting, Pete. Like, there's, there's, like, if it's not, if it's not all I Love Lucy, at least it's in part I Love Lucy. Yeah, uh, oh, well, you know, it's stylistic in terms of the mechanisms of the production. Yeah, how the show is made. Oh, sure. Like You're talking about I like, the Lucy. camera innovation in particular that allowed the yeah. the show to be shot in, in the particular way it was. Exactly. So, yeah. like, Friends is shot almost the same way I love Lucy was shot sure. and it should not be a foregone conclusion that like everything is shot the same way. Right. Uh, that's important. I think. Um, and also, I mean, you could also, it's, it's uh, I love Lucy, by the way, did evolve into a streaming service. It's called Paramount plus. You can get it. There's a direct <laughs> through line from I love Lucy to Paramount plus that does pass through Lucille ball, personally green, right. Green lighting Star Trek. Um, but, uh, wait, yeah, you're, just to be clear, you're not joking, Pete. No, right. No, you're totally serious. No, no she De- sold, De- she oh, sold oh, yeah, Desilu. Right. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 Desilu yeah. was sold to, to Paramount when, uh, yeah, and became their television division. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, the point being that, um, that the interaction, the sort of the interaction, the way that the audience and the performers interact with each other in the filming of a three camera sitcom is something that we can all make fun of and laugh about because it sort of, it almost takes on the form of a, of a sort of socioeconomic observation of like calcified case system quality, except it's not, it's just people imitating Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. Right. right. It's, like, it's like, like the, like if you think of say too many cooks, right. Do you remember, do you ever see too many? Yeah. Cooks? Yeah. It was like, this viral video that uh, was passed around. Yeah. It was um, a, it was like ago. a late night short film on adult swim at one point, And it's a take on the intro video for a nineties sitcom. And that whole is ever there's so much about that aesthetic that is sort of directly influenced by the canonical work of I Love Lucy. Right. I mean, you can also say that some of the shows are the Honeymooners, which is the sort of other mob that's older, um, but also it's sort of the other kind of or sitcom in America. Um, and there are others that are hugely influential for a whole bunch of different reasons. But the point being that this is kind of sacred material 
And I and, and for some people, they feel that way about Freddie Mercury, right? And and you know, Live Aid and whatnot. This is a sacred time to reproduce it in all of its glory. But what I'm suggesting is that if you're thinking about it in terms of Aristotle's poetics and the idea that a that a sort of tragic fall needs to happen to an impressive person in order for the audience to care, <laughs> ostensibly, right? It's like in order for the fall to matter, the person has to be high up. If the person is just in the crapper anyway and they fall like it doesn't matter nobody's going to connect with that or or it's not going to inspire pity or fear from anybody Uh, similarly if this is a show that's supposed to be about you thought they were the perfect american family but it turns out they had a bunch of problems and were kind of sad right like a lot of the time and uh yeah sure david for if you want that david lynch made blue velvet a long time ago yeah exactly but also like the the juxtaposition here isn't like oh, Lucille Ball is like a powerful media person because that's not the story that the show is telling, right? She's surrounded by suits the whole time and they don't show the part of her career where she is, gets to be in charge after Desi gets sick and she's you know running the company. Um, but they also don't show the 20 years or whatever of like, oh, their, their short-lived marriage that lasted for 20 years. They didn't show when she first filed a divorce six years before the events of this movie. And they also don't show that the intervening eight years after the events of this movie between when this happens and when they get divorced. But, but that's notwithstanding. The point is that if you have all of this pathos and you have all of this sadness and you need to kind of explain it or contextualize it, like why does it matter that we're seeing it happen to these people? To me, it's because it should be juxtaposed against how funny and happy and kind of glorious I Love Lucy is. Like that's the contrast that I want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I want to see, you know, if it's a movie about, you know um, – you know, a girl who blinds herself doing competitive horse or, or sort of amateur horse jumping during the depression, you know, I want that diving board to be real high, you know, and I want her to do the horse jump from really high diving board, uh, both before and after her blindness. Um, I'm going to never skip a wild hearts can't be broken <laughs> reference whenever I can come up with it. But, but you get what I'm saying, right? It's like, if I were to think, what is this movie supposed to be about? The, the obvious thing for me is it's supposed to be a sort of pathetic drop or like a, the opposite of a pathetic drop. Um, it's a, it's a sort of jump from the comical to the serious, I guess, or the sol. I don't know. Like, yeah, not, but it's, it's, it's sort of, what but you're saying is that it, it, it lives in a juxtaposition of tones. It lives in a, in a juxtaposition of the incredible, you know, the incredible kind of hardship and like behind the scenes, scene struggling and the, you know, dealing with Desi's infidelity and all the, like all the things happen. And yet something, something sort of sublime happens, um, in the, uh, something sublime happens in the 30 minutes that they're taping the show, you know, that ennobles all of that, you know, in some sort of bizarre and probably, you know, probably difficult, probably problematic way. But, well, uh, yeah, it's all problematic but that it, yeah, it, exactly. it, because it has problems, but yeah. the, uh, it's full of problems, but the, you should not model your life after the lives of sitcom characters. They are deliberately being satirized and lampooned because they're, they're being taken down a peg, right? Sure. Um, although other people would argue, well, by doing this, you're sort of reinforcing what people see, et cetera, et cetera. But like, yeah, it's not saying you should be Lucy. It's saying that you kind of already feel like Lucy. Right. But the the point, I mean, I, I'm think, yeah. I'm trying to unpack the, the yeah. point that I, I hear you trying to make, which is that, you know, so in order to create that juxtaposition, the juxtaposition between the kind of the the exalted, you know, uh, phenomenal success of the half hour TV sitcom juxtaposed against the kind of the destitution of of like a marriage that's not working out and like the kind of the the or a you know or a career that that like just doesn't go anywhere and doesn't go anywhere until suddenly it goes uh goes somewhere and succeeds unlike anything anyone has ever seen right like that those those juxtapositions like only work if you show the if you show the exalted uh, if you don't, if you show the exalted side of the dynamic, right? And mm-hmm. your your point is that we're missing entirely the exalted side of of the dynamic. It would be like it would be like watching a Nicholas Sparks movie and never seeing anyone kiss in the rain. 
Yeah, it's just all Alzheimer's. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, just I went like, to go see the notebook. It was a lady dying of Alzheimer's the entire time. Yeah, and it's right, 100 100%. And <laughs> and she remembers like how good Ryan Gosling used to be at like fixing a truck or yes, something yes. like that. <laughs> and there's like a monologue from Joe Pesci as like old James Marsden telling you how nice <laughs> Ryan Gosling was at some so point. So what? So Oh so, no, it's, it's it's actually uh, the guy is actually in the movie Garner. No. Who is? I don't even know. Never mind. I forget. But I forget the, my notebook headcanon at this point. But the, um, I think it's interesting to look at what takes the place of that, right? Yes. And so, so your point, your point, and it's a good one. They never could have done it because no one, no one can be Lucy, right? Like no, no one can do that really. Um, the the point is that that you should have seen the sitcom, and it ought to have been awesome, right? It ought to have been phenomenal, and you see like in some way how every piece of it sort of goes into this goes into this incredible uh uh creative work that you know all these people put their effort into and instead of that we get we get a couple of things one we get like we get Lucille Ball is a genius at physical comedy things where she like imagines bits from the show and so you see right. she, she goes into a fugue state Sort of, yeah. She kind of like her eyes go kind of glassy, and then you cut away to black and white of Nicole Kidman falling into the into the vat of grapes or something, and like roll. She shoves rolling. the lizard up her nose and goes and builds her gaffy stick in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> hey, spoiler, spoiler alert for the spoiler book of Boba <laughs> It's the second episode, man. <laughs> Sorry, yes. There's a lizard that might crawl into your brain and so teach the- you how to do do pratfalls and comic gags. <laughs> so the the the, the the lizard goes up her nose um right so okay so then this is like this is about authorship i think and because uh for aaron sorkin there's no one more important there's no one more consequential or influential than television writers this is the uh you know this is you know the 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 pinnacle of what Lucy can be praised as like, never mind that show that she did. She could write gags. Um, the, the other thing is that like Desi's sort of business acumen, he, he plays chicken a couple of times, uh, in the, or they, they both play chicken a couple of times actually in, in the movie with like big corporations. Um, this, uh, this, uh, the particular one is that she gets, uh, 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 Lucy gets pregnant. Lucille Ball gets pregnant, um, with, uh, little Ricky and she's gonna, uh, she's gonna be pregnant in the television show. And, you know, oh, what standards and practices will never allow this? You know, the sponsor will never, will never allow this. So Desi goes to the head of Philip Morris and, is, uh, you know, is like, Hey, you, we're going to do this. Um, and, uh, and basically says, you know, we'll walk if we, if we don't, uh, if you do, if you don't let us like, we'll, we'll stay here and serve out our contracts, but you, but you, you cigarette people can write this show, write this show. Um, and that's that like, and, you know, because it, it's a, it's kind of an insider thing. And, and I, I get the feeling that like, you know, show business acumen and kind of sticking it to the man as a lone independent creative, you know, is, um, is, uh, heroic, uh, uh, more heroic in many ways than a, than a, you know, a firefighter, uh, saving lives or a, a person fighting in a war, um, according to Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, so that's, that's what we get. I don't know. What are the other moments of look sort at, of look at what we can do matt look at what we can do uh, i shouldn't make fun because i love that episode so much but look at what we can do the the boundless it it what it's what was next pete we we came out of the cave and we crossed the ocean and we uh <laughs> we went to the moon and and we made a sitcom uh, not necessarily in that order we wouldn't be going to the moon have half of a ham sandwich in my fridge um anyway so i mean do you see what do you see what i'm saying that i think actually these things are are sort of revealing uh what we get instead of like hey here's a a whole episode of i love lucy reenacted in its entirety yeah that makes sense that that you can surmise that this is an aaron sorkin authorship piece and as such yeah the role of lucy is as the writer creator mastermind uh of the art not the performer 
who the audience regards from the outside. It's we're very concerned with her interiority and what she's thinking and feeling as she goes about going through this difficult and painful process of creating her show um, and not the sort of thrill and uh, altered state of consciousness and state of flow that comes from performing it expertly and, uh, you know, and kind of being able to turn it on like that. Uh, I get it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think I actually never really watched Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. I think I watched maybe 20 minutes of it at some point. Was it also like this where it's a show about comedy where nothing is funny? Yes. Um, well, it's not this. Yeah, it is. OK. Yeah, I, mean, I shouldn't say nothing like, is funny. What, nothing is comedy. One there's of the big, no, no, no. But. I mean, there's there's some stuff that's comedy. It's just it's just not funny. One of the big knocks on it. And I like I don't know. It's almost if you're going to do SNL. Like SNL is only funny because everyone's on cocaine all the time, right? Like, I'm sorry, I don't mean it's not, not true. Like if it, <laughs> I mean it was true. If it were for, good, for if it were good, they'd write it. They'd they'd have scripts on Monday. They'd rehearse them. You know what I love Lucy did? They wrote a show every week. <laughs> they they wrote it down. You know, like and uh, you know I don't know. It's uh, it's. Uh, SNL is good because it has the meta plot of hoping that they successfully execute the show. And those are who the protagonists are. Yeah, or but the that, actors. that wound is, I mean, that, that problem is self-inflicted. You know what I mean? Like it's totally, <laughs> no, it's, it's totally inflicted by Lord Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I heard, I heard Harry Shearer, the, the, um, the voice of, of Mr. Burns, uh, and Smithers, I think, uh, doing the, uh, you know, critiquing, he spent like one season on SNL and he was like, yeah, Lauren wants a crazy frat house. So no one's ever accountable for anything. And, uh, like, you know, I don't know on your show of shows or whatever, they, they would have scripts on Monday and they'd rehearse them and perform them by the, by the end of the week. <laughs> and that was one of yeah. the best comedies in the, in the world. Like, and, uh, Lucy did the same thing anyway, like, but also this is a time when amphetamines were medicine also. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that Lucy is a non-coke, <laughs> not cocaine. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know who's Vince not? Vivi- handing out pep pills at halftime. <laughs> yeah, Vivi- Vivian Vance isn't though, because uh, they're not good for ethyl. You know, that's uh, yeah. uh, the. Um, yeah, but the the problem with studio. I mean, well, uh, among the several problems with Studio Sixty was that like it's hard to do that that SNL thing without topicality. You know, and that. It, it's not, they're not actually shooting it week by week. You can't, you can't kind of create that environment that SNL has of like, Hey, this is kind of right of the minute that when it's being, you know, when it's being, uh, yeah. when it's being sort of taped. Um, and, and then, so it just wasn't funny. Like the sketches weren't, weren't funny and they were all, they were all kind of elegiac because they were about how, you know, the poor comedy writers are, are i don't know ill-equipped to like fight in the in the culture wars um and every and everyone at the time was like that's silly all the liberal and conservative stuff about how you know uh about how fox news is gaslighting its own audience that's all so that that stuff is not realistic that'll never happen um at the time and i you know i i will say for aaron sorkin dis- despite it not be eh, not being funny is the greater sin but like uh he actually did call it <laughs> Yeah. So we all well. need to go back and watch Studio 60 on the Sunset <laughs> no, Strip you, you to really figure out don't. what's happening. You, you really don't. <laughs> we just got to go back and watch the Vitamin and Vegemin episode of I Love Lucy. And over realize- and over and over and over. <laughs> and it will never be <laughs> and realized it will not be surpassed. <laughs> there we go. You, Yeah, it's that in Paradise Lost, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, let, let me get in here. So, you know, what we're getting at what we've talked about is what what is this movie? It's kind of strange movie, what it's about. And, yeah. you know, I think this this theory is the best one here about authorship um and the difficult creative process and uh how hard it is to make the sausage and, and, and to the set that you don't get to enjoy the sausage um but let me offer something else as well that this movie's trying to be about but i don't think is quite successful um in being about which is about domesticity and home right um and this is buttressed by and large by the um by the back the lots of the flashbacks we get about lucy and desi's relationship and it, it's all about how um Lucy um, wants to have a, a home life, a domestic life, um, uh, and cannot get it in real life, but gets it in some uh, perverse, perverted way uh, in black and white uh, on the small screen. Um, and, and that uh, kind of 
there's a bit of a tragedy there um, that she yes. has to accept all the imperfections, um, you know, the the being dragged through the press and dealing with a cheating husband in order to get that. Um, so, sure, that's there. Um, and it does, you know, leverage the fact that, uh, you know, we talked about before, you know, uh, Lucy, uh, I Love Lucy is this idealized uh, domestic sitcom sort of thing. Um, and, and and that's all fine and good, right? I mean, it, it's it, it takes second, uh, it ultimately takes second backseat to all the authorship stuff that we talked about before. But I would like to hear you guys talk about, like, this domesticity angle of things and how it uh, does or doesn't work as as kind of an emotional centering point for the movie. Well, it's our second movie in two weeks that's basically trying to do what WandaVision did, not as well as WandaVision did it. Hmm. Uh, well, and I get, which is because that's what, I mean, the I Love Lucy episode of WandaVision is yeah. taking on some of the yeah, same yeah, yeah. ideas. I just the, feel the like dinner party the aspect, party. right? The, the the awkward dinner party. Yeah, I think that it's hard it's just it's hard when you're so far zoomed in on the underbelly that it's all underbelly. It, it, there's no that is there there's no ideal of what home life should look like to contrast with the frustration of what she's going through. Because when she says I want a home, I don't think she means that she wants, you know, to be a mom and a wife. Right. It, it We could get a sense that she's not that simple. Um, no, she likes her she, career. She does like her career, you know? Yeah. And, and I understand the desire to have a home. Yeah. Well, Sorry, but we don't know. I, I I understand it, but I don't understand it for her. Like, I don't yes, understand yes. what it means for her. And like a lot of things, a lot of things in this movie, it works on the, the you know, the, the time-honored uh, storytelling tell-don't-show principle where, you know, Aaron Sorkin tells you it's important <laughs> um, that like, you know, I want a home. But it's like, what does that mean for her? Like, what what was her home life like? Or what is she, what is she trying to achieve or... Or recapture or escape from or whatever, you know, that that gives this idea of like, I want a home uh, stakes, you know, is it a, a sense of kind of family and belonging? Is it a sense of sort of safety? And and like, you know, the domesticity in, in WandaVision, the domesticity of sitcoms was, you know, kind of a stand in for like bombs not raining down on your uh, on your home in in Sokovia. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, that like, uh, that right. Like that, that's what that, and, and I just, I don't know what it means to the character in this, uh, in this particular thing, in, in this particular context. And it's not, it's not really established. I, if, if memory serves, I, I seem to recall being aware of, of interviews with the, the historical Lucille Ball, where she actually said like that, though, you know, Desi was running around with prostitutes, like she had her 30 minutes, like she she had her her thirty minutes of like her husband's attention uh, every night, like and and uh, or every week, and that's that's how it's sort of figured in in the film, right? Like Nicole Kidman describes. We've been talking about Aristotle and about tragedy and about pathos. Like Nicole Kidman describes it in the film as a curse. Uh, that is to say, she's cursed that her ha- having put Ricky onto to Isle of Lucy, um, having put Desi as Ricky onto Isle of Lucy, she. Um, uh, is uh, adored by her husband as long as she stands on this, you know, highly delimited ground. This, you know, this, this, these few square yards of uh, of land, and you know, the second that she she steps off them, poof. But it's not like you know, I don't know. I want to be adored by my husband. It does. I mean, that at least doesn't seem to be um, the kind of operating thing for her in for this character for this version of Lucille Ball in in other areas of the film so i'm you know i'm not i'm not totally sure what it means but i you know i do think uh, i do think that like there is something to the idea of like getting getting uh oh god what's it Vivian Vance and Fred um what's the name of the actor who played what's the name of the actor played fred william frawley right Mm. uh someone i i can fact check myself in a second but but um but uh getting yellow and eminem and uh nina arianda like out of bed at two in the morning would (laughs) 
<laughs> which is, um, you know, which by the way is total abusive boss <laughs> behavior. <laughs> like that is a, that is not a great workplace <laughs> if your boss is calling you into the studio at, uh, calling you into the office at, at two in the morning. And if it happens to you, don't put up with it. Unionize, uh, that, that like, um, you know, she gets to kind of like d- direct and control this, you know, normal domestic, normal domestic scene when she feels so out of control in her, uh, uh, in her actual marriage. So, you know, I don't know. The, there are a couple thoughts in that direction. I don't know. I know. Either you have anything to add to that? Well, I think the movie does give us something because I, I definitely hear what you're saying for sure. And I think part of the challenge of the movie is that it does give us something. And I don't know if, in giving it to us, it is aware of the way that it resonates with this. So I love the scene where Lucy and Desi are talking about how they're going to spend more time together. And Desi suggests that Lucy come to the club. And Lucy says, I, yeah, I could come to the club. I, I sort of it's the kind of thing that would happen in a relationship that you just never really thought of. You know, oh, I could hang out at the club and then I could be with you and then we could hang out. Right. And I mean, I've had places like that like theaters, right, or music places where it does feel like home to be there. It's not outlandish to suggest that if it were the right kind of match, Desi Arnaz could be married to somebody who loves to hang out at the nightclub with him. And that's just their relationship, right? Sure. Goes on stage and does the show with him. I, it makes me think of, you know what it makes me think of is it makes me think of um, uh, Megan Mullally and uh, Nick Offerman. Uh-huh. Who I who I saw who performed live together. I saw them perform live together in the long long ago with Captain Walker before the the dark time, um, before the big bada boom, um, and uh, and how they're. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely did uh, special you know i don't know some kind of oti swag free month of membership for the person who recognizes oh, that I, I assume maybe people don't i i'm i'm really underestimating how old i am a lot of the time that the references i throw out are just totally just people don't know them anymore Cor- but corbin dallas <laughs> multipass yeah <laughs> uh but the point being that you can see a world in which they could go on the road together and they could have a grand old time or they could have a performance space that's their sort of permanent residence place together and that they could feel like they're really together and it could feel like a home for them. And I think it is interesting that the I Love Lucy show is not that for them, even though, of course, we're we're seeing the show only in its second season. Although I think, again, it plays fast and loose with the idea of time. And it's actually the episode that they're talking about was actually a first season episode. We went, we went back episode, and, yeah. and watched it on on streaming. But in the show, it, yeah, it's the second year of in the yeah. movie. It's the second year of the show. Yeah. yeah. And not only do they do a full run of this show, but they do a, a second show that's sort of loosely based off of it. Right. That has been was highly based off of it. That's like longer specials, it's sort of like when Doctor Who doesn't really have regular episodes and just has a run of specials or something like that. Um, so it went on for a long time and and, and it must have been familiar, uh, but we're not at the place where the show is familiar to them yet. Sure. And then and then light shoots out of Lucy's arms and uh, she <laughs> she comes back as uh, as Kate McKinnon. Yeah. Exactly. Or, uh, Gilda Radner or yeah, right. uh, I don't know who reincarnates uh, who the regenerations are, but yeah, but, but there is a tragedy in the idea that I love Lucy could have been home for them, but I don't think, I think that from Aaron Sorkin's perspective, work is work and home is home. And I'm just thinking of sports night. I'm thinking of West wing. I'm thinking of, you know, the stuff that I have watched of his. And even though everybody on sports night really loves each other, you know, even when they hate each other and they behave as in a very sort of familial and connected sort of way, they're all business while they're at work. Um, and that's the point, right, is that it's people who are really good at their jobs, really care about their jobs. And you watch them walk and talk as they as they do their work. Um, and they sure, are. I, li- I like. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want to read. I am throwing some shade at Aaron Sorkin tonight. And I, I, I do feel like. Uh, he's become a version of himself that I don't particularly love in every respect, but like I have really a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of affection for the West wing, which was a show that I liked, you know, at a time in my life when it, you know, seemed, um, 
when it seemed like any, when it seemed like anything was possible. And I kind of want to say that like for him, well, I, I want to say two things. One is that like Pete in the scene that you're talking about of like, uh, I, I could, could she come to the club? Right. Uh, the way Lucy says it is, are you sure you want me to come to the club? I just had a film come out five days ago. And then when she oh, goes, then when yeah. she goes to the club, everyone's taking pictures of her. Right. right and right. the, the way they play it is that Desi is less, less than thrilled that he, you know, he's starring in this, this supper club show and everyone is like looking at this banquette that has, that has Lucy in it and snapping pictures of her and stuff like that and distracting from the, you know, from the music and the, the the orchestra playing music on stage and stuff like that. So that it's not, you know, um, uh, it's not, it's not even like, uh, uh, even that is not, not really possible given the sort of, I don't know, the fame, dif- the fame differential, but yeah. I, I, I want to say something tangentially related about Aaron Sorkin. I think for Aaron Sorkin, um, you know, the, uh, in the first, I think it's the first episode of Sports Night. There's the thing where there's like a runner that is breaking a record, yeah. you know, and he something, something, something political oppression, something, something, the Africa, something, something. Um, like it's, you know, it's, I don't know, a, a triumph of the human spirit or, or blah, 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 blah. Um, and, uh, uh, what's his name? Peter Krause. Peter Krause is the one who's not Josh Charles, right? Peter, yeah. The one, Peter the Krause one, is the one from Six Feet Under. From yeah. Six Feet Under, yeah. Um, uh, calls home and is like, hey, son, stay up and, and turn on the show and watch the show tonight. I'll explain it to you all tomorrow, but right now, just watch him run. And, uh, and I, I think that like, just watch him run is the, is the hook, but I actually think the, I'll explain it to you tomorrow is surprisingly important for just Aaron Sorkin's view of the world for the, the way he looks at the universe. I think for Aaron Sorkin, the novel is better after you read the footnote and that like, that, you know, doing that, doing this homework that, you know, all this stuff, this background stuff is not, it, it is a, an issue of sort of like overly lionizing like show business people and kind of, uh, their, uh, I don't know, great achievements and, and, you know, heroism in, you know, in some ways that I've, I've poked some fun at in this episode. But, I, but I also think that like, Hey, um, I love, I love Lucy. Uh, was a great show, wasn't it? So I'm going to provide something. I'm going to give you the greatest service that uh, surely any fan of I Love Lucy would love to receive. Annotations. <laughs> you know? And, and, and yeah. I think I I sort of believe it's sincerely meant, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and he's wrong, you know? But he's 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 strong and wrong. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, ta- I'll take it, you know? <laughs> It would have been cool to – another thing you could have done is you could have done it like an old-timey movie and shown the episode of I Love Lucy as a preview to the episode of the – to the movie. Huh. Like you, like you could say like here's the text. Now here's the meta text. Right? right? Like this is the thing that was made. We're all going to watch it together. Now here's the movie that's based off of it. That, that might be interesting. Or in like hypermodern um, style, like a TikTok video where like, you know, text pop-ups and a strange robot voice tells you. <laughs> <laughs> I cut the flowers and then it's too short. So I cut the other flowers so that they are also too short. Yes. <laughs> I.J. Edgar Hoover and Lucille Ball is not a communist. <laughs> this is this is not the version that they aired on the episode. <laughs> what they really needed was Leonardo DiCaprio as J. Edgar Hoover to call in and do just like a split screen. <laughs> he played J. Edgar Hoover in a movie, didn't he? Yeah, it was called Hoover. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was about vacuum cleaners, right? It was. I can't. That's that's the joke from Clue that I can't. Whenever I hear yeah. uh, J. Edgar Hoover's name, I can't. I can't not think of this joke from Clue, which is like, is the FBI uh, in the business of cleaning up political messes like this? Of course they are, says Tim Curry. Why do you think it's run by a man called Hoover? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> can, we talk a little, can we talk a little bit more about how weird that ending felt? I think I, I alluded to it earlier when I gave my uh, plot synopsis of this, right? But it's like you have 
Desi Arnaz, like just like, showing off the height of his showmanship abilities by just playing the crowd like that yeah. and, um, you know, pulling out this ace up his sleeve. And who is it? Like noted historical heel, <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. What, like, and huh? what, like, and like, the audience is like, is like, oh, yeah, great. J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, it's not a communist. And, and everyone else here is just left and like, huh? That dirtbag? What? What? Um. Why did he have juice with J. Edgar Hoover? Like what's this is this is something that's that's just straight up fictionalized. This isn't like yeah. historically transposed or whatever. This is straight up fictionalized. So why yeah. um why in the story does he have juice with J. Edgar Hoover? Is J. Edgar Hoover on the boat, you know, doing his J. Edgar Hoover licentiousness with <laughs> with Desi and his and his crew and they give I'm just him checking a, off the movies that I would have liked to have watched. <laughs> that are being mentioned in the comments with this movie, right? Like the movie that's just about the boat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. It was, it's Desi Arnaz. It's Jagger. It's like, it's like that, uh, that Muhammad Ali and, and, um, uh, Oh, they, what did they call one night in Miami? Or was that what it was called? The movie that came out where it was like, um, it was a it was, I don't oh, know the meeting. Was yeah. Yeah. The meet where all these, where all these people met for one night. In, yeah. In yeah. Miami. Yeah. And so, like, well, let's do a fictionalized idea of who's on the boat with Desi Arnaz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who's who's playing cards, or like, who, yeah, yeah in exactly. Like right. Yeah. Who's who's or or more to the point, like, who's sitting around and and keeping watch while the you know while the prostitutes in to entertain Desi. Yeah. That's well, like it's J. Uh, it's J. Edgar Dr. Hoover. It's Oppenheimer. Ah. Uh. She's watching the prostitutes, right? J. Robert Oppenheimer, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Clearly, it's. Uh, it's Dick Fosbury, uh, young Dick Fosbury, inventor of the modern high jump. Uh, <laughs> like what other this is now it's becoming travesties where it's just uh, a whole a bunch of cameos. I uh, you now I have to check the age of Dick Fosbury. Uh, Dick Fosbury would have been uh, five years old during the events of this movie. <laughs> so we would have been a small baby who could jump very high. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if he yeah. could as a baby. Do, do you think no. he could? He could have probably uh, not. I mean, he, he would be dangerous for him to flop. He would hit his head. Uh, but then again, you know, toddlers will do anything. So you got to be careful. Um, no, it's Walter Camp is there probably. Right. Um, I'm just going to throw out random people who are alive in 1951 or whenever this movie takes place. So, yeah, sorry. Yes. Why does he have juice with J. Edgar Hoover? We don't know. It's not established. <laughs> but it's J. Edgar Hoover. <gasps> Oh my goodness. That's the, you know, and he does, he doesn't introduce himself at the beginning of the call because he, you know, J. Edgar Hoover was known, uh, you know, uh, for nothing more than his impeccable showmanship. Oh wait, no, he was known for several things more than his impeccable <laughs> showmanship. I mean, here's the thing though. There's any number of reasons that he could have had juice. Like you could say, well, I thought it was this. Sure. Maybe it was right. Maybe it's that, oh, he's a prominent Cuban anti-communist and there's a, a sort of, a strategic interest of the government in him. Maybe it's he knew somebody from the army. Maybe it's he knows someone from the card game. Maybe it's that he knows a prostitute, the chick uses, right? Like, we don't know. But but the point is that they don't say and they don't establish it at all. Um, I guess it's just that he sends he just has the guts to call people. He just sends them telegrams and then they get back to him. <laughs> That's pick up the you phone. Know, no one, yeah, exactly. Like why? Why is this the first time you you answered it? Well, no one asked me until no one asked me to clear their name as a communist until. the first person to slide into people's DMs. Yeah, see, I've got two jars on my desk, and one of them has 150 paper clips in it, and the other one's empty. And every day, I call 150 powerful dignitaries or men of industry, and I every time I move one paper clip into the full cup and uh, it's just it's a good habit i just i just do it just to make sure I'm, I'm doing it and then when it needs be i can just be like hey you know uh salman rushdie you know come to my kid's birthday party and they're like yeah sure um <laughs> i don't know i'm making too many obscure references well we're now. going we're going we're, we're, we're going off the rails now but that's yeah. that's good that's time hey it's time to play the theme song of the show now bah, we're, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> this was worse than the terminator 3 not playing the terminator music yeah. Until like the credits. This is like, why not just play the music? Get like play the why is it the wow sad orchestral nonsense? But anyway, sorry. We're getting on towards the end. Oh, so not in this one. The this was a this was a lush, um almost period appropriate, or maybe yeah. even, you know, sort of score 
uh, which didn't really make sense with the framing. It, it gives, it gives so much nostalgia. It, it layers on such a heavy layer of, um, you know, of that perspective on, and I don't think it's a bad score. I think it's a little overbearing, uh, but that's, that's part of the style of that, yeah. of that melodrama, um, type of thing. Like the, the one, um, Douglas Sirk is the person I name checked before who, you know, if you saw like far from heaven, that was like, yeah. you know, that was what the, what they were going for in, in that movie. And it, it just, it's just a little inconsistent g- given the tone and giving the, I believe the this was device. scored by the same gentleman who scored, uh, uh, matinee, matinee, uh, Oscar winner, uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, right? Won the Oscar for fewest people in the theater on Sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> was that number one? <laughs> no, I think it was actually a worse one, but that's like my arc. That, that was maybe like my archetypical, you know, or overthinking it early, early matinee movie for a long time is that, you know what I do for this show? I go watch King Arthur, uh, legend of the sword with the elephants and I love it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the actual scoring, I don't think it's a bad score, but it might be the wrong score because if they have all these intermezzos, the point of the intermezzos usually is to provide some sort of relief or refreshment and the intermezzos aren't relieving or refreshing. They're just different, but that goes back to the framing device, which brings us full circle. Right. And the music is by Daniel Pemberton, who uh, and again, very, very maudlin and melodramatic and period appropriate, uh, very minor. Right. Um, very stringy. And he did The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which I'm sure this music was or the music he did for it was probably utterly appropriate. Right. But he also did Man from Uncle. So he's done a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, so he did. He did a, across across the Spider-Verse, not TV, into the Spider-Verse, but across the Spider-Verse. A TV series called The After Party. I wonder what he'll yeah. do after The After Party. <laughs> it would, the the world may never know. Uh, <laughs> right. not, not in the state of the current yeah. hospitality industry, Matt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's uh we'll we'll I, as long as everyone's masked and and social distancing. All right, we're gonna have to leave it there. Uh, but uh, thanks very much for listening, Pete and Mark. Thank you for watching, being the Ricardos, and uh, podcasting with me. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve. Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs>